Hi all, and welcome back to the European VC. Today's episode is another special episode, diving deep on one of the hot emerging managers we're backing in the EU VC Investment Club. You've met one of the founders before back in December, when he was the managing partner of Rabo Frontier Ventures, a friend of the EU VC, JD. For this episode, JD is joined by his co-founder, Menno. We're excited by this because JD is an exited founder and tech investor who has built two tech funds with a total AUM of 285 million. JD has the skill set needed to deliver strong value to GPs, which in turn yields him and his new fund, PaceNotes, unparalleled access to the best funds and their breakaway companies. With PaceNotes, JD and Menno continued the strategy they developed in their previous fund to create a well-balanced tech fund of funds that actively finds and doubles down on the breakaway companies in their underlying portfolio. We can't wait to deep dive with you on Pace Notes and don't forget to join the investment club at theemergingvc.substack.com to access and invest in the hottest emerging VCs in Europe at tickets as low as 1,000 euros. Jaron, Menno, Welcome back to the show to you, JD. Ameno, welcome to the show for the first time. We are so happy to have you with us here. And especially in connection to this being our The Memo episode, where we dive really deep into Pace Notes and why we're investing in you through our investment club. Great, thanks. thanks. Happy to be here again. Guys, before we start, and I want to start with you, JD, I just want to dive a bit into your story, even though you've been on the show before. What I want to focus on is your entrepreneurial journey, because that's not the typical background for a fund of fund investor. It is a pretty important leg in your strategy in that you're doing a lot of co-investing. So, mm -hmm. JD, tell us about how you got into venture. Well, that's a different question. So, long story short, I started out in, in consulting like, uh, you know, I think many people do. And then uh, together with my brother, I founded a company in motorsports, totally different segment. Did that for a couple of years. And it was quite an interesting journey in, in the sense that you learn quite a lot, right? So doing your own thing, you learn, you have to learn everything from A to Z. And that's what we did. And after that experience, so roughly 10 years ago, I decided I probably wanted to do more of that. And it was actually one of the local funds here that asked me to work on their portfolio, which I think is sort of a natural progression, right? So you had your own company and then maybe if you want to go into the venture space, then it makes sense to start working on portfolio companies for other VCs. That's what I did. They asked me to join. I think, yeah, eventually I didn't join another firm, but that's where my sort of pivot from the entrepreneurial side of things to venture started. And since then, having taken on various roles at various funds, I have to say it's different, but it's a lot like being an entrepreneur, but it, it still is different because you're doing multiple things at the same time. And of course, not focused on, let's say, the full chain of building a company. But that's what I've been doing ever since. So yeah, basically just started out work with other funds after my stint as being an entrepreneur myself. Ah, that's awesome, JD. I'd love to hear a bit more on the founding story and what you did with the startup because I know that you made some pretty amazing improvements for the race drivers. Yeah, well, actually we did, yeah. And of course, this is something that starts as a hobby, right? So we were amateur riders ourselves, visiting all these schools and training and doing a lot of training and stuff. And then we found that actually the reason why we started this is that there were quite a lot of accidents happening and the approach was, so to speak, not as structured as it could have been for most of these, you know, training days or race days, however we would like to call it. We decided, well, maybe if we can change that, then we make it more safe. Long story short, that's basically what we did. So we created 
a training program that enabled people without experience, but also very experienced riders to become better and more safe riders, which eventually, of course, as you can imagine, leads to people having more fun. So that's the logic behind it. And that's what we did for quite a while. First motorcycles and then cars also for a bit. And, you know, I think it was a nice experience because it involved so much, right? This is just one part, but the other part is that we had to sort of build our own software package and CRM stuff to make it happen. This is, in terms of the time, this is before you had all these off-the-shelf programs. Back then, of course, you also had programs where you had to do a lot yourself to make it work, especially we did. So that was also quite challenging, but also very interesting to see that, you know, how you can use software in your company to make it more efficient and also a lot more fun for ourselves. So we automated a lot, quite a lot of stuff, so we didn't have to do as much. If you're working on that, that's totally different, of course, than working on a training program, for example. So it's nice to have this full spectrum. And eventually, yeah, we made people better and safer riders, which actually felt pretty good as well. Now, Menno, let's just hear a bit more about you. Tell us your journey. You're a bit younger than JD. I'm curious to hear how you've gotten into venture and what has gotten you to be part of the founding team of PaceNotes. I'm 32 years old, so pretty young, but I think it's decent age. <laughs> so I'll take you back all the way to where I grew up. So I grew up in The Hague. I had a very nice childhood. Afterwards, I went over to Delft University of Technology, got my engineering degree there in uh, systems engineering, policy analysis and management. Very long name for uh, a study that is basically a mixture between engineering on one hand and on the other hand, more management, economics and finance. Did there my bachelor, my master's degree, finally got to uh, Accenture to do my graduation research. I yeah, studied there the devaluation of oil reserves in light of the political movements and also the Paris Agreement. And then I got more entangled into the world of finance and discovered that I liked that. So when I graduated, I stayed on at Accenture for some more months to do some projects over there and decided that I do not want to be a consultant. Yeah, I think consultants are not that much in the action. So I want to do something different. And then I looked around me and I thought, okay, how can I use my knowledge of technology, but also the entrepreneurial side and more also the economics of finance and do that in one job. And that brought me basically to venture capital, which I didn't know before. And when I learned about venture capital, I thought, well, this is a great job. And that's how I applied for a job at Star Green Capital, where Jeroen basically hired me. And I worked there for one and a half years, half a year together with Jeroen. Then Jeroen left to join Rabobank. And one year later, he asked me to join Rabobank in order to help him set up the fund of funds, but also to do direct investments. And those were direct investments in fintech and agtech. And fund investments, uh, you know of them, so uh, those are the funds that we've backed already. And starting capital, we are more focused on sustainability, uh, so it's climate tech, but also sustainable mobility, and yeah, basically a mixture between climate tech and deep tech, so also some hardware. Very interesting, very cool also to know the origin of the relationship between you two. That's awesome to know, and we'll deep dive a bit into that. But I think that the next thing to focus on would be to give our listeners a quick overview of... You know, we've been dropping the name Pace Notes. Well, what is Pace Notes? Yeah. yeah, good question. I can tell you literally what Pace Notes are. So those are the notes that a navigator for a ready driver takes. You know, he tells you to go flat out, six right or whatever. That's the just basically of the name Pace Notes. But what we're doing is, you know, we are fund of fund focused on general tech funds in Europe and US, and then specifically focused on funds with a very strong track record, right? So to speak, the top tier funds or how you would like to say it, you could call it. But that's what we focus on. Of course, you know our background, but maybe for new listeners. So we've done this, you know, before we built a fund of fund and then did a couple of co-investments. And our strategy is, of course, to create access 
to the most relevant funds, but also co-investment opportunities, and then have the speed basically to execute on those co-investments. That's the overall theme here that we're building with base notes. And the background is that we've learned that in venture, in order to create venture returns, you have to be staying within the motorsport terms in Formula One or, or Champions League. You have to be in the top there, right? Because these distributions are quite skewed to a small group of firms. So you have to have a strategy in our view to be part of that. That Otherwise, you know, there's maybe other strategies that have a better risk return profile. And that's where, you know, the fund to fund comes in. Building a fund to fund creates access to a lot of interesting managers, and that's what we focus on, you know, on the best managers we can find, as I said, in Europe and U.S. Coming from our backgrounds, you know, from at Star Green, and uh, also did quite a lot of, you know, early stage investing, direct investing, also myself. We're not the typical institutional LP, so to speak. We come from a direct investment background, have an entrepreneurial background, and that makes our approach also a bit different in the sense that, you know, we're investing in these funds, but I think we have a, a good understanding ourselves as well what's going on in the market, you know, which companies may become hot, which spaces to follow. We have our boots on the ground, right? So it's we're not doing that from a very macro perspective, but we're part of the ecosystem ourselves. So that's in a nutshell what PaceNotes is, what we're doing, and going forward what we will continue to do. And to add to that, so I think something that's also interesting is that some of the companies that are in the portfolios of the managers that we back, we know them ourselves. And so we have a better view on what they do than the typical institutional LP that sits at their office and just has inbound deal flow for funds. We've spoken to lots and lots of the founders ourselves, and we are also capable of doing our analysis of the companies in order to determine if it's a good company, bad company, but also to see where it's going. So for some companies we know already that is going to be a 20x deal, for instance. Well, some institutional investors, they say, well, I don't see it going to 10 billion valuation or 20 billion valuation. Well, we see that because we know uh, our comparables, but also know where the founders are capable of and where they come from. Without diving in too much detail, because we want to dive into the thesis a bit, a bit later on, but I do think something that JD said is quite interesting to deep dive a tiny bit and clarify a bit, because you talked about access to returns. And I want to ask you if you could share with our audience some of the data that we have available on a macro level on persistence of returns in venture, because that is interesting because it informs your strategy, right? And I think it's interesting to start with that. Men of fill me in. It's 60% of the returns are created by 6% or so? Yeah, about that. Yeah, I think 60% by the best 8% managers. So that gives you a sense of how skewed it is. And that, you know, of course, there's maybe some nice returns outside of that, but you can also imagine that there's also quite a lot of, or should be, and it did on the numbers, you know, there's quite a lot of returns that actually are not venture returns. The initial risk is the same, of course, for everybody in venture, what we're doing more or less, depending on the stage. Well, in my view, personal view is that maybe it's not worthwhile because maybe later stage doing uh, leverage buyouts would then have been a better risk reward profile. Yeah, what you also see happening currently in the market is that there are funds that generate a 10 to 30x fund return. I think that's quite new because uh, what you see now is that the growth market in Europe is getting more developed so that companies, they keep on raising capital until IPO, but IPO at 30 billion instead of 300 million it used to be common. So actually the upside within a venture fund is much larger than expected before. And it's also can generate a very strong return for a fund to fund if you have Basically, in a fund, you have a fund returner, and in a fund-to-fund, you can have a fund-to-fund returner. 
when a VC fund generates a 10x return, for instance. Katie and Menel, I'd just like to talk a bit more about the team. We just asked you to introduce yourselves, but I think that there's always a story to a founding team and why founders actually decide to go out and do their own thing. So you were very pleasantly positioned inside Rabo Frontier Ventures, both of you. Then you decided to, nah, let's do this ourselves. Tell us a bit about your thought process and what got you to doing this instead of continuing with what you did before. Yeah, I think the background is, having explained a little bit already about our strategy, but the background is, is if you look on a global level, you have this different levels of experience in venture, in US, Europe, uh, Asia, and also different levels of professionalism or the life cycle of the ecosystem in a different stage. But Menno and myself, what we both see is that there's a great opportunity in Europe. And I think that's probably the main reason why we went out to do this is because this is just a great opportunity. You have maybe second generation PCs here in Europe, approximately, more or less. Maybe US is like seven, eight, ninth. I don't know exactly, but something like that. And in Asia, it's a different market. But that, if you look like 10 years ago, the market in Europe evolved so much and we think there's so much room still. So that's the reason why we wanted to do this. And it's also, of course, a lot bigger opportunity than, than you know, we, we what we've done so far. We think that this opportunity is here to stay and it can be quite a lot bigger. We are positioning ourselves as a middle layer between, you know, GPs, funds and founders. And we think that European markets or layer, so to speak, can grow a lot in the coming years. So, so that was one of the main drivers. It's just it's the ambition to be part of that, help the ecosystem and move forward. I'm looking here at our one pager that we're sharing with our investment club. And um, what's kind of cool about you guys is that Pace Notes is a first time fund, but it is a team that executed on that strategy <laughs> yes. with quite some success. Could you guys put some words into um, your past experience? You know, what has happened there, not only in terms of, you know, what is the track record, generally speaking, but also the learnings and what you bring in to this new fund? I mean, we learned a lot, right? So, I mean, as you can imagine, we've seen a lot of the top funds. We did a lot of face-to-face meetings before COVID. We got a good view on what's happening. And over time, this only gets better, right? So once we allocated basically, so as part of our track record, our, so to speak, previous fund, we learn even more, right? So in our strategy, we built this sort of overview of Europe, as I always say, right? It's the front and back end of venture, and we see both sides, uh, including US for a little bit. And that creates some interesting data points while managing such a portfolio. For example, you see how each manager operates and how that translates to returns or performance. That's, of course, something you can try to estimate from the outside, but really managing a portfolio, you can see what the impact is, the decision-making of the partnership on the fund level operationally, but also in the performance. And those things are oftentimes, as we discussed in the previous podcast, are actually quite connected. So I think we had some, some really interesting insights in that and also in performance and branding versus, you know, underlying dynamics in a fund. So which actually makes, well, in, in manager selection, a fund can have a big brand name, but maybe it's in a transition, if you see what I mean, right? From this partnership to this partnership that may or may not have a positive or negative impact on performance. And those are the sort of things that we also learn to look for to get a really good understanding of, of what's happening and how it potentially impacts returns of funds. So one thing that's also interesting is the fact that you can compare funds with each other and also how they operate and how they build their firm as well as the information that flows from it. So what you see in the reporting packages of one fund 
is interesting. But when you compare with another fund, you see the different quality and it's all behind the scene and doesn't have anything to do with how the fund invests, but it tells a lot about a fund or about how professional they are, how well their processes are structured. I think that most of the times it's also translated into the quality of their investment because it's just the quality of the people of the firm and that's the most important in venture that the people are doing the investments and are also the people helping the companies grow. So I think that tells a lot about firms and their processes. To add to that, it also translates to opportunities, to specifically co-investment opportunities. It's also very interesting to see terms, but also speed and timing for these opportunities. So one may be a lot better at it than the other. It's actually funny because what you're talking about here, the insights that you get into how VC works by being an LP, that's exactly uh, part of the raison d'etre of the investment club that we've created because everything we do is to serve emerging managers and the VC space in Europe. And what we could see was that there's so much knowledge to extract from being an LP in funds. So that's why we're bringing this opportunity to anyone yeah. who wants. We're just saying, okay, most people don't have that much money. So we're, we're bringing the minimum ticket down to a thousand euros so people can get invested in. That's also why I'm so hyped about the opportunity to invest in you guys, because that will allow me to get a much better understanding on what's going on inside North Zone, Speed Invest, Valar, all these amazing funds that you guys are invested in. It will be such a learning experience that I can only say that I'm looking a lot forward to. Yeah, <laughs> it's also interesting that these firms themselves also go through learning curves, right? So maybe they're fund two or three. It's an, it has a little bit different setup or you know, there's a couple of things that may change versus their fund six, seven, eight. That's also quite interesting. So that's for also for us always interesting to see what's the new best way to structure, you know, X, Y, and Z. Or we have that information quite early on, of course. So that's one of the other things that's quite interesting for us to follow. There's one thing here, looking at track record, that I want to dive a bit into because a lot of people say fund of funds, you're far away from the assets, there's layers of fees and so on. There's not much returns to come and, and harvest there. Could you maybe uh, debunk a myth around fund of fund returns and also tell us how you have devised things to get up the uh, IRR curve and also to actually realize good multiples? Yeah, and maybe IRR is not the best number, but anyways, the discussion is, you know, the fund has been performing well or our track record has. It goes back to our thesis, right? So you have to work with these funds that are really creating venture returns. And if you look at these funds and the underlying dynamics within these funds, Especially in this market nowadays, they are not on a, let's say, four-year J-curve or something like that, right? It's it's changed quite dramatically or drastically uh, over the last couple of years. And I think that's what we are seeing. So the whole idea of, you know, fund of fund has, you know, fee stacking and da-da-da-da-da. It's difficult, maybe true, unless you stick to the thesis of just doing manager selection for just, you know, as I said, the Champions League of what you can find. And now in this market, there is almost no J-curve, so to speak, because the speed is so, of investing is so high and there's so much capital still flowing around that, you know, the underlying assets, they re-up quite quick and that just delivers this sort of returns. But of course, the challenge is always to find these funds, create access. Also, as I said, these funds are on a life cycle. For us, it's really important to understand as well, where are we joining forces with them in their life cycle? I'm not talking about the first or second fund, but just, you know, some of them have been successful for so long, but then still we need to have an understanding of where they are on their life cycle. And for us, our approach is often always a bottom-up, right? So we just need to understand, okay, which deals have been, you know, some really great deals in the last, you know, 
24 months or so? Have they seen them? You know, what they decided to do is, did it cross their deck? Have they been active with this company? Do they know the founder well? How did the founder decide to work with them or not work with them? That's how we start our selection. But yeah, eventually to create venture returns, you have to focus on this small group of firms that are, you know, uh, yeah, have at least the capability to do so. And also the firms that have the opportunity to provide the upside. The standard target is that everyone wants to have a free X net return, but there are also firms that are outperforming that and they provide a six X net return. So you must be able as a firm to create the upside. And that also depends on how they invest and how aggressively they do their follow-on investments. Uh, and that also makes them sometimes possible to really outperform even the best funds. And if they have a strategy aligned with the potential to return a 7x fund, yeah, then also it's a good investment for a fund fund, which can really create a strong return for a fund fund. And also our co-investments will add to that. So the co-investments have another return profile, making it able to have an even better return. I was actually going to say that because what I find particularly interesting is for me, the unfair advantage here, which justifies possible, you know, hurdles that potential investor might put is access. It all comes down to access, right? And I think what is interesting about you guys is on the whole thesis and strategy side, we see that through doing the fund investings and then co-investing. And what I mean by this is access to these funds is not easy. <laughs> and so that's something you bring to the table that is worth a lot. But then again, access to the champions of the portfolios of these funds is even harder, even to know that it's happening at a stage where you can get in. And so let's deep dive a bit on that unfair advantage, which is the access point. Why is it hard to do? And how come do you guys have it, right? I think first, you know, for funds, hard to do. There's a couple of almost technical basic stuff, right? Minimum ticket sizes and so forth, where it's difficult. That's why what you guys are doing, is, I think, is a great solution to that. That's one. The other is, what do you bring to the table for a potential GP? So value add. Also, our setup, small team, you know, we have a, this more VC, GP style approach. The GPs themselves, the funds themselves, they recognize that. I think some of them also see the same opportunity as what we are seeing. And our goal is to become a life cycle partner, you know, just not join one fund and then go out and in and out. So we want to stay here for the long term and really partner with those funds. It gives us a sort of a USP on also, if you speak on a weekly or monthly basis to the GPs and you're working on a co-investment or something else, then it also gives us some very good information on what's going on. So that's one part of the approach where I think it's maybe that's welcome. And also it reflects on our own processes, right? So I think we're fairly efficient and we have some speed ourselves to execute. Maybe that also helps. As I said, you know, the bigger opportunity is also important. There's a bigger opportunity in Europe which people recognize and maybe the room or the space that launched, maybe it was already there for a couple of years. Uh, so maybe it's also not surprising and then, you know, people are happy that somebody's jumping in and doing it. And then for the, I think your other question is right on the co-investments, right? So it's sort of a double step. I think there, as I said, you know, it's access and speed. You know, many LPs, they ask for co-investments, right? Which is fine, of course, for us, uh, I mean, great to have them, but it's not as important. We think that in our day-to-day -day business, it's just these co-investments happen so quick. Maybe they will change, but then still the most competitive ones still probably are going to happen really quick. When it's just an email and the company is completely new to us and you have a couple of weeks, that's not our model, right? So we want to know, as Meadow mentioned, we want to know the founders yourself. We want to you know, have an understanding of what's going on way before anything is happening. And that creates some leverage 
maybe on a co-investment opportunity. So that's one thing. So it, it creates some leverage if we understand the founder, you know, on that level. And we're not a product team, right? So we're not product guys. So that's also not we promise. But what we can help with is if you're doing an A or B round, we have a good overview of what's, again, on the front and back end of venture. So we have, as I always say, we have some proxies of data points and we understand what's happening. So where we can be really helpful is working on your cap table strategy. You know, what needs to happen for the next round? Who should lead it? Who should follow? Maybe the composition of it. That's why I think we can be really, really strong. So that's appealing to founders. And then also for the GPs, it can also be an interesting one to help us get into co-investment opportunities because either it can be a direct opportunity for us, but it can also be indirect. So it's partially managed maybe by the GP. Depends a little bit on the deal, of course. But if we can be quick and set up an SPV or an opportunity vehicle and we, we cornerstone it a bit as we have done in the past, then that really is a clear value add to a GP, right? Because we do actually quite a large part of the work that they have to do. And of course, there's an economic split, but it's a thing for both sides, which also, you know, creates access for us. And again, you know, saves a lot of work for the GP. So also from that side, it can be really interesting to work together on those co-investments opportunities. So that's how we do it. So it's, it, yeah. Just something that I think many of our listeners probably don't know is that most funds leave pro rata rights on the table on the breakaway company. So having a fund of fund that can actually execute on those co-investment opportunities and help them protect that pro rata and either keep it inside their fund or at least keep it inside their LP base. Yes, and it depends a bit, right? So some, of course, most funds pull on opportunity vehicles, have capital to deploy, but that's also a matter of timing. So maybe you set up a fund and then in the first two quarters or quarter, it's already fully committed because, it, you know, you had some really interesting opportunities. And then just after the second quarter, there's another one. But yeah, you need to raise or you need capital. And then, of course, you can reach out to any LP. Sure, for sure. But of course, here you see what we're trying to achieve, right? We want to get those first phone calls to say, hey, why don't we call these guys based notes? They have the speed to execute. And that's exactly how we, where we want to be, right? So for us, it's also important to have enough investments in enough funds because then these opportunities, well, not always, but in our experience, it's also one of our learning points. Almost always there is an interesting opportunity floating, you know, because of these dynamics. Maybe just a fund, an early stage fund, just doesn't have the capital anymore. It's just committed to another deal. Or, and that's where we sort of can step in. Yeah, the only way how we can make sure that they call us and not another LP is to be there for the GP, be actively involved and monitor the portfolio well. So that when there's an opportunity, we know what's going on and we can execute on it directly instead of waiting for a few weeks to do our homework. It's actually uh, something we did cover in our first episode with JD. If I remember correctly, the terms you use, you want to make sure that you come with a prepared mind when these opportunities arise, and that's what allows you to be quick. So I would invite anyone listening in interested on that. You can check JD's last episode. Quite interesting. I'll keep diving a bit more into that. I wanted to make sure that our audience understands the investment strategy here because we've talked about from the funds, we talked about SPVs, co-investment vehicles, you know, just to make sure that we're painting a clear picture to the extent possible, of course. I'd love to have you guys explain, okay, what's happening here? Is these different vehicles? What, what is going on there? For the moment, it's not different vehicles, right? So it's one vehicle, have an opportunity, we have room to do co-investments, and then if it's really interesting, we'll set up an SPV next to it. That's just the basic setup, right? In terms of our strategy, if you summarize it, then it's access and speed, as I said, right? Combined with a high deal flow coverage in Europe and US, so we can execute 
it's not the nicest way to describe it, but we can execute a momentum trade. And deal flow coverage, maybe just to dive in a little bit deeper, is you know we need to work with funds that are in their stage, in their geo, and in their expertise, almost see all relevant deals. Let's say 100% is, of course, perfect, but you want we want to work with funds that have a 90-plus percent score. And the reason is that's how we can build this front and back end, right? So if we have like 10 funds that have these high scores, then our understanding of what's going on and all the reporting and data posts that we have of what's going on in the market is high-quality data, right? If otherwise there's enough funds that have a lower score and they miss deals or yeah well that's what happens and these funds that have these high scores they also miss deals but they decided not to invest so that, that's a big difference so that's in a nutshell that's the strategy right and then we have this access and speed and what we can do is what we call sort of a momentum trade is that for us we can a series a to d or something can be really interesting if we combine all the info and intelligence that we have and see where this is going for us it's not necessarily a ipo play or something like that right so we can do this momentum trade and say well step in here it's interesting we have this multiple return profile that we think it will achieve in 12 months 24 months 36 months and then it fits us and then you know that's the way that we look at it and we have an understanding of what maybe later stage funds will be looking for we think it becomes a hope deal but then you know, again, for our strategy, we need to work with funds that are really strong in their space. What is your mix between both U.S. and Europe, but also early stage and, and growth stage? Yes, U.S. is like 80-20 roughly, right? It's something around those lines. And then in stages, what we've done before, it looks something like that. I'd say in Europe, of course, you have a lot of quite of early stage funds, so we also have more early stage funds but we're also doing the occasional growth fund but it won't be 50 percent growth funds not the ones from cd onward so it, it leans more towards early stage but we want to also in that sense we need to build this almost vertical in stages so we have this overview and also you know to help with these cap table strategies it's really interesting if we work with a, a little bit later stage funds to pass on deals that makes total sense but it's roughly along those lines yeah you guys are investing in the i would say the most recognizable brands in vc in europe for sure and in the us as well obviously i dare say that you know you could probably double triple <laughs> your fund size while doing the same deals just increasing the ticket size right and what i'm hinting into here is deal flow strategy right what are your thoughts around, you know, doing more funds, different funds, maybe kind of branching out a bit with all the yeah. risks that that might bring versus focusing and, you know, just tell us how you think about that and what are the plans with Pace Notes 1? No, good one, because there's probably not that many funds that, well, not too many funds that fit our strategy, right? So, I mean, on your first point, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we probably could, you know, increase our ticket size and it keeps us busy for a while going forward. So that's good. But on the other hand, we are not emerging managers, first-time teams, you know, really, really just, you know, first-time teams from that sort of small fund sizes, etc. is not in our immediate focus. But there is also a different group of, for example, partners launching their own thing, creating, you know, spin-outs of GPs that is interesting to us. Yeah, so on your first point, you're right. We can do bigger tickets, so that keeps us busy for a while. But going forward... We'll probably start looking a little bit more into emerging manager first-time teams, but not in the traditional way, I'd say, because there's a, a bit of a nuance. There's a difference when partners or a couple of partners leave from one of the established firms and are doing something new that could potentially be really interesting for us. 
versus you know a founder starting a fund and that's also i think it can work for us but it's a bit different approach and i think for long story short for us the you know how well you're connected and embedded basically how high your deal flow coverage is probably going to be the main thing that we you know combine with track record what we look for and then maybe you know in future there's like 10 percent or poor that we can do a little bit of a different strategy but it's likely that we'll stay on this path for a couple of funds maybe even and probably increase our investment in a fund over time so with a new fund with more capital available hopefully we can also make another yeah, portfolio structure and make larger tickets but now we want to stick with the tickets that we have in order to balance the portfolio well. Thank you guys for joining us. We are personally super excited about doing stuff with you. Welcome back, JD. Nice to have you with us, Mano. Best of luck with everything. Hope to keep in touch uh, in the future as well. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thanks. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the European VC, your podcast for insights into the European VC industry. If you love our show, do drop us a review, share it with your friends and join our Slack community at theeuropeanvc.com forward slash community. And don't forget, if you would like to suggest topics or guests for future episodes, join our community and help make the best pod for everything European VC. And if you are about to raise a fund or an international round, do let us know and we'll be happy to introduce you to relevant investors.